hello everyone and welcome to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. Uh, I'm Autumn and I'm joined by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. Uh, we're here to talk about the best fucking movie ever made. Uh, yeah. I know I say that every week, but uh, it's true every week, so. <laughs> yeah, that movie being uh, Evangelion Shin Gekijoban. Shut the <laughs> fuck <laughs> Um, I mean, we are going to talk about the first two rebuild movies. I guess we have Joe and Ha because I'm being I I've decided that I'm just going to be um like obnoxious and just do the like Joe Haku titles. So I um this podcast has definitely turned me into a person who likes like original titles in the language that they were in better than english translations um but i'm not enough of a like jackass i guess to commit to it a lot of the time so i still say wings of desire even though i think in my head like oh is a better title i could not pronounce german for a moment it's fine um for a moment Der Himmel über Berlin. Uh, I can't still... Mm. Anyway. Der Himmel über Berlin. <laughs> Watch the fucking speaking, Ava. Speaking, speaking of German, just before we get into Ava. Um, yeah. So... I, I should watch... clarify something, but you go. We're talking okay, over I... each other a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was going to watch um, Berlin Alexander Plotz, the, the 2020 adaptation. Um... But I was like, from what I know about it, it's, like, set in a more modern Berlin, and, like, it it seems like it's probably, like, referencing this is a really well-known work in a, in a significant way where, like, maybe I should go watch the 1980, like, extremely long movie slash miniseries, um, depending on how, who you talk to, um... And so I was going to do that, but then when I pulled it up on the Criterion channel, I saw that there's also a 1931 film adaptation. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to be watching three different film adaptations, I might as well read the book as well. So today I got from the library, um, <laughs> Berlin Alexander Plots by Alfred Doblin. So, um, yeah. <laughs> You're a fucking cartoon person. So I'm going to be reading this and watching, um, a regular movie adaptation, a like extremely long, like sixteen hour or whatever adaptation, um, and then the twenty twenty to see if the twenty twenty one is worth bringing on this podcast. <laughs> You're a fucking cartoon person. Anyway, you were going to clarify clear. something. Uh we both watched the first two rebuild of Evangelion movies. That is not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> we're here to talk about Akira. But since yeah. we watched them, we might as well talk about them. <laughs> yes. Um, you are going to watch the third one today. And I was like, I don't have the time to watch the third one. Um, mm -hmm. I have work and also I'm still kind of sick. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and like watching a toddler. Um, that doesn't take that much time, does it? Um, you'd be surprised. 
Lem is being obnoxious. Anyway, but I was like, because I kind of want to talk about it on on the podcast, even though it's the, only the first two, and be like, I don't know where this is going. And I feel like that conversation would be, like, a lot different if you knew where it was going, and I didn't. <laughs> yeah, so. that's fair. That's fair. Um, I was grateful with... <sighs> I, so I watched the first 30 minutes of 3.0, and I did enjoy it. I won't say anything more than I was enjoying that first 30 minutes. Um, but when you expressed to me that you didn't want me to get too much ahead of you, I was like, oh, cool, I can go back to watching the dumb uh, Harley Quinn show I was watching, because it's fucking good as hell. I'm probably going to finish the first season after we get off the phone. <laughs> Is there another uh, um, podcast where someone might be able to hear you talk about that? Well, uh, earlier today we recorded an episode of Gotham City Limits, a podcast where we talk about Batman and Batman Ephemera, uh, and this would fall under the category of Batman and Batman Ephemera. Um, and we did talk about it a little bit. Talked about it more last week when M watched it, I felt like, but we talked about it a bit this week, so. Um, yeah. Anyway... So yeah, we both watched the first two rebuilds of Evangelion. I guess we're going to talk about those now, and I guess we'll talk about Akira in a minute. Besides those, did you watch any movies or rate any stairwells uh, between episodes? Um, I don't know if I rated any stair. Let me pull this up. I don't know if I rated any as a joke. I those are the only I... movies that I've watched. I I brought this up because I read the first volume of Akira. Like I read the book. <laughs> and I did put it in the spreadsheet and give some stairwell an S rank, but it's been a month since I did that, and I don't fucking remember what stairwell this was. <laughs> I don't fucking remember why I gave this stairwell at Akira an S rank or what it was or anything. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it now. I'm gonna I'm gonna demote it I, to an A plus until such time as I remember what it is, so I can justify that ranking on a podcast. I'm currently reading uh, Akira Volume One, so I I can see if I know the stairwell when I get to it. I guess. <laughs> um, sorry if there's lots of noise. Lem's being like extra bratty right now. Um, everyone's second favorite podcasting cat. But anyway, we, yeah, I didn't watch anything else. Um, I got sick. I watched Ava movies. That was about it. So. I didn't watch anything else because I have worked overtime every week for the last, like, five weeks. Uh, and so despite the extended off period between episodes, didn't watch a damn thing. I get, I watched Godzilla Raids again. I watched Godzilla Raids again. Um, which had a okay stairwell in it i would say um it had um there's a scene early on where two businessmen are looking out over um sort of like post-war like they're standing on the um roof of their like office building i think and they're looking out over post-war japan and like talking about how much money they're gonna make rebuilding this um and then um, there is another scene later in the movie where Godzilla has destroyed the whole fucking town and they go back out and they're like, oh, we're going to make a lot of money uh, now that Godzilla has destroyed the town. Um, and there is a stairwell to this. There is a stairwell that is in that shot that I think like leads up to 
some sort of roof stuff. That's about all you get. So it's not really like a stairwell scene. There is just a stairwell that is in a shot. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to rank this. Uh, fucking. I'm going to give it a C. I'm going to give it a C and move on with my day. <laughs> all right. Um. So, yeah. Sh- shall we talk about the the yeah. first two rebuild movies um yeah um i think they're a funny two to contrast so i realized through watching that i had seen both of these already um mm-hmm. and i i think what happened is i got to the end of this one and i was like wow it's gonna be forever until the third one comes out huh and then when the third one came out, I was like, there's going to be a fourth one, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I didn't watch the third one because I was just like, I don't want to have to watch that and then wait a bunch for another one to come out. Um, that experience was annoying. Um, I mean, these movies are really lavishly animated, so I understand why it takes a lot of time. But, you know. Yeah. I, I, I feel like... You... You don't want to wait uh, however many years for a story to be completed. You just want to see it when it's done. Yeah. Um, But I do think that they're they're two funny ones to, to like, have and then not know what else happens. Um, Mm -hmm. I do. So one of the reasons why I've decided to be obnoxious and do the uh, Joe, Ha, and Q, and then the... um, I've decided to call it the capo, the like repeat sign for the the fourth one, but um is thinking about it within like the context of Johaku, which is like this general idea of like not even necessarily narrative, because I, I think it also p- applies to like musical forms in Japan. Um but it often gets applied to like narrative in Japan. Um and it's like a, a big thing in no play forms did help me like think a little bit more about like, okay, what seems to be going on with these movies? Um, because let me see if I can like pull up a, a general like translation of the, these terms that might be a little bit help, more helpful. Um, While you're so doing Joe, that. I'll just say that um, realizing that in Japan these were called Shin Evangelion was interesting because I was like, oh, that's why it's called Shin Godzilla and Shin Kamen Rider. Okay. <laughs> like, obviously, I know what the word Shin means, but I was like, ah, there's like a theme that goes back further than just Shin Godzilla. Yeah. Um, one of the things, too, that um, is interesting is so, like, the word Shin can have different meanings depending on, like, what kanji you write it with. And, um, it's specifically spelled out phonetically, which would mean, like, probably the two meanings that would make the most sense is one of them means, like, New Evangelion, but the other one could mean True Evangelion. That's, like, another meaning if you spell it a different way. Um, so I think it's also kind of playing with that, like, is this just the New Evangelion or, or are they, like, asserting this as, like, the true one? Um, but, so... Johaku, um, these are rough translations because that, like, especially when things are these broad and, and conceptual, like, a lot of people, even when writing in English about this, will just use the Japanese terms because it's, like, hard to translate. Oh no, are we losing each other again? 
A little bit. A little bit. Okay. Um, I was, so yeah, a, the, you were explaining Joe. Yeah. So, so Joe, so like the rough translations I gave is Joe is like beginning or start. Um, ha means like break. And then Q is like rapid or, or sudden. Um, and so it's this idea of like the, the Joe, the, the beginning is supposed to be fairly slowly paced. Um, and it's supposed to be stuff that is like generally comfortable and will kind of like bring you in as an audience. Um, it, it's setting a lot of the groundwork and it, there's not like much that's going on in terms of conflict or anything like that. Um, it, it's really there to like, get you as an audience just like comfortable with the characters with the setting with the story with what's going on um or with the music or whatever um Mm -hmm. ha break is this idea of like things are now um beginning to escalate and and like sudden changes are happening or like things that are are um really shaking up this like uh normality that you you came into and got used to um and so like you know there's a a specific theorist in japan who talked about how like this is often the the moment for battles even if it doesn't contain actual battle it's like where there's this like intensity going on um Mm -hmm. and then the third one q is like things really escalate and then like basically collide into a wall. It's like this, this climax where it's just like everything is picking up and going faster and faster. And you hit this dramatic climax and things kind of end suddenly. Um, and often with like tragedy, but not necessarily, but like, especially if you're doing tragedy, having this like very sudden tragic end. Um, like the, the suddenness is part of the, the, um, impact of it is just like it ends and then it kind of just stops there um and doing that helped me make a little bit more sense of like uh joe like 1.0 is so like this is just the sick first six episodes of the anime uh, mm-hmm. right <laughs> um yes like there are places where you can see like oh they're like you know, they, they can, uh, I forget the names gonna, of all the angels, but like the one that in the anime is just this, like, um, I'm, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to go reset my router. Cause it's really annoying the way that like, I'll just lose you for like 10 seconds and come back. I'll be right back. Okay. Just keep recording. Yeah. I'll just keep it running. You know what? I'm going to do a Garfield read aloud while this is happening. Um, let's go to today's Garfield. So today, uh, Garfield is sitting in the chair in front of the TV. Um, it's the uh, armchair, so it's sort of this lightish blue color with uh, darker blue shadows. The TV is sitting on the, the wooden TV stand as usual. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a flat screen TV. Um, and Garfield is sort of leaned back with his uh, knees up towards his chest. 
uh, fairly neutral Garfield look in his face, a little bit grumpy. Um, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven mice all around Garfield, and they're saying "ooh," which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight O's and and three periods. Um, second. <laughs> <laughs> second panel um this is not a normal garfield i'm laughing because now autumn's laughing um, uh, so um the the mice have changed position or they've changed their mouths a little bit but otherwise it's identical um and now the mice are saying ah but otherwise nothing has changed um and then final this panel is um, <laughs> uh so now the mice are all smiling um and garfield is also smiling and looking at the viewer um and uh yeah you know normal like smiling garfield face uh closed mouth smile and garfield is thinking cheese making documentary anyway autumn's back so i'm gonna record some more stairwells hi <laughs> Hi. <laughs> you bitch. I just figured I would use that time. Is all. Um, I was, I joined the call and you were counting mice and I was like, oh, I'm not going to interrupt her. What the fuck? Whatever. <laughs> She's probably talking to Emily or something. And then I realized what you were doing and I was so mad. <laughs> right, okay. Where were we? Where were we? So, you were talking about uh, Joe Ha Q. And um, we were going to get into Evangelion. I guess um, I'll probably cut a little bit and we'll just start from the top about like impressions about uh, 1.0. Um, and if, uh, I'm gonna mark, uh, something here, I'm gonna type all caps, AVA, spoiler alert. Um, and listeners, if you do not want to hear spoilers for Evangelion, uh, 1.0 and 2.0, we will not be talking about 3, we will not be talking about 4, just the first two. Um, just Joe and Ha. Yeah, what she said. Um... You can jump to one hour and four minutes. Okay, that should be enough time to like edit in myself from the future being like thirty-seven minutes or whatever the fuck it ends up being. Yeah. Um, truly a mystery because we're gonna have to cut stuff out. But anyway. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, part part of the reason why I'm doing this obnoxious thing of the Joe Haku and then the Capo. Um, for the like repeat sign, because I don't think there's a, a confirmed Japanese pronunciation for that. Um, is that it did help me make a little bit more sense of like, why is one like that and why is two like that? <laughs> um, because like Joe, like rebuild one is just so like it, it is the first six episodes. Um, like, obviously done as a movie where, um, like some of the stuff is reordered a little bit, um, 
to some degree where like I feel like it loses some of the impact. Like episode two of the show is just so much of um like you don't know how the the battle with the first angel that you encounter like in the show ended. Um it's kind of just like Shinji being depressed in bed and then like moving in with Misato and everything and you're like did Ray kill it? Like um you know is the angel still just out there? And then at the very end, Shinji's laying in bed and you see the flashback and it goes to like the actual fight. Um, but for the most part, it's just those first six episodes. I don't know if you have thoughts. I'm going to, I'm going to let my cat out again. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed, um, 1.0. Um, I knew going in that it was pretty much just a rehash of the first six episodes. Um, there were some things I enjoyed more about that version. There were some things I enjoyed less about that version. Um, I did miss the, like, break from episode one to episode two. I did think that, um, they did the, um, stuff with, like, shutting off all electricity in Japan better in the series. I also really like that that is a movie that ends with, um, like, Shinji, like, you know, reaching out to Ray and like trying to help her. And that is like the note that we yeah. end on, not on the sort of violence, um, of killing the angel, but like, you know, the, like in the aftermath of it, like trying to care for this person, um, around you. Um, yeah. I, after I watched the first movie, I very much felt like, um, oh, now that I understand the, like, backstory, the, like, lore bullshit, I like Ray a lot more than I used to. And after watching the second movie, I think maybe, I think maybe the movies just do a better job with portraying Ray sympathetically than, um, the, the show does, maybe. I think, yeah. I think the sh- these movies are a lot kinder to her, so... I, like, Ray has always been one of my favorite characters, even when I first watched it, I think because, even though I would not have admitted it at the time, like, I think I identified a lot with Ray when I first watched Ava, which for me was back in high school. Um, and, like, I, I was more aware of my identification with Shinji, whereas, like, Ray was something that I didn't want to admit to myself. Um, and so I, like, sublimated it into, like, teenage crush on a teenage anime character um Mm -hmm. but in retrospect i'm like oh no like i i think i was extremely ray in high school and i think that's like what i was really drawn to um and so i was always kind of sympathetic to ray but i i think i brought a lot of myself to that and then i think also like honestly for as much as i i detest a lot of end of evangelion i think that movie does work to um, characterize Ray in a way that the show never did, um, mm. which is important. Um, also, the the big thing is that I actually read a bunch of the manga before I watched the show. Um, and I think that, like, both the rebuild movies as well as the manga, I think do a lot better job of, like, 
letting the female characters just really be characters. Mm-hmm. Um, the show is like, so when you are depressed and you just like, you think that you are the only person in the world who's ever felt depression before. Like you are like that deeply depressed. Um, and that's like where Shinji is, but then also seems to be where Ano is. And so Ano thinks that Shinji is the only person who matters as well. <laughs> right. Um, I still halfway through the saga of watching these movies, I still think I probably like the series um, better than the shows or the, I, I think I probably like the TV series better than any of the movies um, rebuild or end of. Um, but um, I do. There are certain things that I really like about the rebuild as a response to what that show is. And like, like one of the things that I said, this is more about 2.0, but like, I think starts to come up in one, um, like I understood better than I did before. Why anyone likes Shinji is attracted to Shinji wants to be around Shinji in any way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, um, in the, in the show, sort of his and by proxy Anno's like all consuming depression just kind of transforms him into the worst person in the entire universe. Um, and that is even more true in the original movie, uh, end of Evangelion. Um, and I think the rebuilds do a better job and it feels consistent with who he was before, but I think it just does a better job of like portraying like, what is it that people see in Shinji? You know, um, yeah. despite his, we've seen what he sees in himself. Let's see what other people see in him. Um, which I think is like a really good step forward for like that character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I realized I never finished the point I was saying about the, like, Joe I thought Hockey I was going to make a quick point that tied into what you did. And then I totally tangented off. So I, that's, on I think, me. I think it's related though. Because, yeah. so, what I came to, what I came to with, like, the realization here, because I, I, I watched the first movie, and I was like, this kind of feels like it's trying to do, not even that abridged, but, like, a little bit of an abridged version of the first six episodes, um, mm. to a degree where I think you could watch it and have a general understanding of what's going on, even though I think the show would do a better job of explaining it to you. Yes. Um, there are definitely parts in, in the first movie where I'm like, I probably through cult, like cultural osmosis, most people would know what's happening. Yeah. But also it's sometimes it's just like, they're also clearly to some degree playing off of like, you know what Ava is. Um, yeah. And because I wasn't, I- Yeah, at first I wasn't sure, like, what to make of that. And it was when I got to the second movie where, and where I was then thinking about, like, what are the Japanese titles, and it's using this Johaku thing, that I went, oh, when they say Johaku, what they are talking about is, like, a narrative that they are doing with, like, the franchise of Evangelion. And so the first movie is Joe, like the beginning, the thing that is like giving you the false sense of security. It is the comfortable thing that's going to draw you in and like make you think everything is comfortable and fine. And it it is not like 
in the pure narrative sense of what's happening in the movie, but you as an audience being like, oh yeah, this is Evangelion. I know Evangelion. Yeah. Um, and then when you get to Ha, which is like, again, the part that is the, the break where like battle happens, where things like start escalating, things start getting complicated. What it is actually doing is like complicating your understanding of Evangelion and of what the rebuilds are even trying to do. You get yes. to it and you're like, oh, they're just like, this is not them doing a, a direct, like, this is not them taking Evangelion and making it into like three to four movies. The, just the plot of the show. This mm-hmm. is them like telling a new story that is somehow engaged with the plot of the show and also the manga. Um, and to so that was the part that... where I was like, I, I understand those titles a lot more. And then I understand why, if you're doing Joe Haku, why the first one really does not complicate things beyond just like, there are shots where you're like, Kuro's on the moon now? <laughs> like, what the fuck's going on there? <laughs> right, right. Why does well, Misato I... already know about Lilith? <laughs> yeah, cause there are, there are moments in the first movie that are like, rely on your knowledge of the show to so that you know something weird's happening here. When, um, when one of the very first things Misato does is takes uh, Shinji down to um, see Lilith, you're like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and like certain conversations that Gendo has with uh, Sele, you're like. That's not how I remember that going. I certainly don't remember that happening so early. Um, You're kind of like, eh, maybe I'm just not remembering it right. Yeah, Um, maybe they're just choosing to, like, work in some of the lore earlier, you know? Yeah. It's still going to be the same story. They're just, like, kind of bringing some of the stuff in a little bit earlier so that it doesn't have to all end up in, like, the last movie or whatever. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And then the second movie, I don't think you can understand what's happening in that movie if you have not seen the series. Like, yeah. <laughs> period, end of sentence. Like, they montage past so much, and it moves at such a clip, um, which is fine if you know the TV show, and I think that's, like, a pretty reasonable assumption for what is, other than Dragon Ball Z and um, Sailor Moon, like, the most popular anime ever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, like, like, yeah, I just think that, like, it's a pretty reasonable assumption. Most of the people watching this movie have probably seen the series. We're going to rely on that knowledge, and if you haven't seen the series, like, I guess you're just going to get lost, or you're not going to yeah. know what this movie is. <laughs> you know? Maybe maybe you watched the first one when it came out, and you're like, oh, this seems interesting. Maybe I'll actually watch the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I'm a little higher on the second movie than you are. Um, I'm, I think I'm like, I want to rate it on, um, letterboxed and I realized as I was rating, like I did four stars and I'm like, literally how the next two movies go is going to change my rating. This could be five stars for me. Or this could be, like, two and a half or three. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'm just, like, I'm very apprehensive about where this is going, I think, because I don't trust Anno as a man. <laughs> yeah. Like, I so, don't I don't trust him. 
Let me say, because I think, like, my general positive feelings on this might frame some of the apprehension that you have, I think. Because we've talked about this, because, like, we've, you know. We 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 watched two together. Yes. I (laughs) watched, so, (laughs) I watched with Nora, um, yesterday, the dub of two, um, and really did not care for it at all, because I had never seen... I had seen the Netflix dub of the show, and I had seen the sub of the um, first rebuild, and I didn't—I re- really, really, really did not care for um, uh, um, I really did not care for the dub, uh, which was like the original English voice cast, um, like not the Netflix voice cast, um. Yeah. Did not care for it. It's a very, it's how Nora enjoys, um, Evangelion, and I get why for sure. Um, I got a little bogged down watching that dub in like, oh, I know all these guys from like, Oron and, um, Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood and other like, anime of the like, 2000s because there were like 12 anime dub voice actors of that time and i could just hear all their other roles and i couldn't like i couldn't pay attention to what fiutsuki was saying when i was like or or like kaji was just kyoya in my brain and i was like i can't understand what he's saying because i just hear kyoya from oran high school host club (laughs) (laughs) um so anyway yeah so um, then so then you were like Say you texted me that you were about to watch the sub, and I was like, "I'm literally about to watch the sub. Should we just watch it together?" <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even sure. I was like, "I'm just gonna put this on and like watch the first thirty minutes and see if I like it better." Uh, and then you were gonna watch it anyway. I was like, "Well, fuck it. I'll just hop in the call and we'll just watch this together." I liked the sub a lot better. Uh, and also knowing the shape of the movie and watching it immediately made me like it better because the first time. The movie just moves at such a pace that I was, like, kind of struggling to keep up a little bit. Uh, and knowing the shape of things and watching it a second time just helped me a lot with that second movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the the thing that I really liked and I was that... <clears throat> so, I don't know how much to explain this. If you're listening to this, you either don't care about Ava's spoilers and I don't understand why you're listening to this because we're getting really in-depth on, like, spoiler shit, which is fine if you are. I just don't understand what the appeal of this conversation is to you. (laughs) Or you've seen it, but I'll give, like, a brief overview, which is that, like, kind of the... a sort of, like, running fandom explanation for as long as I've been aware of Evangelion is that, like, Evangelion is a narrative that loops, that the the series is one, like, sort of loop of that narrative. And then End of Evangelion is pretty different from the series, and so since the 90s there's been this fandom understanding that perhaps, like, this is a different loop, a different, like, iteration of the same story. And the rebuild really lean into that narrative, from what I understand, the manga also really leans into that understanding. Yeah, I think that it seems like the rebuild's leaning to it more than the manga did, whereas the manga kind of hints at it with the end. Um, 
Mm-hmm. But it's like really you get to the 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 very final, um, like the parts that would be end of Evangelion, which I think actually came out after the second rebuild. So it might even be to some degree responding to what's like been set up here. But um, yeah, and so um, this particular like loop of the stories, quote unquote, feels a lot like um, Shinji is trying more um in especially in end of evangelion but also in the series he's a very insular character who wants someone else to reach out to him at all times um and in rebuild 2 he is a character who is reaching out to others all the time and it makes things go a lot better you know um yeah like and things still end pretty bad. <laughs> like, third impact happens, and it seems pretty fucking bad, <laughs> you know? But also, as part of third impact, Shinji is able to, like, say, like, reach out to Rei, and she reaches out to him as well, and, like, they're able to, like, share a moment of happiness and understanding. And, like, that is a thing that... Certainly no one in in End of Evangelion can share is this sort of, like, understanding of one another. Um, And so, I, as a person who, like, gets upset if I think about End of Evangelion at all, it's, like, a really, like, vile thing that I hate with my (laughs) entire soul. I really don't like End of Evangelion. As a person who feels that way, um, 2.0 being sort of a refutation of that by having characters constantly try to understand each other and succeed at times um, is nice. And then also, like, things still go wrong because there are characters who, like, actively try to sabotage that like gendo is trying to stop these characters from one from understanding one another from to trying to stop them from reaching out to each other that's just like an interesting um version of this narrative that appeals to me a lot more you know yeah um and all of this i haven't mentioned yet so my other podcast ghost divers we did do like evangelion the show also talked about the manga alongside it, um, especially as we got towards the end because that's where it diverges the most. Um, and so especially when we then did End of Evangelion, we also talked a lot about the manga and how, in my mind, like even End of Evangelion, the, the movie and then the show could also suggest like two different time loops happening. Mm-hmm. Um, like a certain divergence happening because for me, and th- this is a thing that, like, I- I'm bringing this up because I think our End of Ava episode is really good, and if people are, like, want to hear two people really argue about End of Evangelion, um, my co-host on that, Connor, like, actually really likes the movie somehow, um, but I think makes a good case for, like, why he likes it. Um, I can fully intellectually understand, like, the case that he's making and be like, yes, this is actually, like, this sounds interesting, and I, I understand what's happening here, and yet, from the, like, my whole point of view is, like, there are parts where, where Connor's like, Okay, but, like, it makes sense for these two characters from, like, the way, you know, that it's, like, 
Ray or that it's a uh, Asuka and Shinji because of like how stuff has been set up in the show and in the movie and everything. And I'm like, yes. And that makes sense. Like it's a chicken and the egg problem. Like to me, yes, that makes sense because from like the very start, Ano has been a person who believes that like human inner uh, connection is like not really possible. And that the like greatest divide between humanity is the division between biological sexes that just like as a trans person, like, that like bioessentialism doesn't make sense to me. Um, yeah. and also then I realized in the course of recording the end of Evangelion episode is the like the final scenes of that movie evoke for me like, like I have a, a triggered response from surviving mm-hmm. abuse that then causes me to be like, I, it, it is reading the end of end of Evangelion as hopeful is a thing that like, would necessitate me to say that like there would have been a good outcome if I had stayed with my abuser and like, like I can't say that. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I can't like end of Evangelion. Like, it's just like, I cannot, um, even as I can understand it, but I'm bringing all of this up because I think that is like a very good episode that really flushes out a lot of the, the tensions that are going on. Um, and mm-hmm. I also talk about on there that like the manga, I think is in some ways too, the ending feel like the ending is a lot better in the manga, but to some degree it doesn't feel earned and I'm more willing to buy it because it is coming out after like the show and also the movie end of Evangelion. And so it can reach this better outcome. Like a a thesis I sort of have throughout all of those episodes is that um, perhaps by accident, Yoshiki Satomoto is writing a manga instead of doing an anime. And when you're doing a manga, it's far easier to put in, like, um, to, to have people have introspective dialogue where it's thoughts because a thought bubble is just as easy to write as a speech bubble. Um, and in fact, like, once they are so similar, the thought bubble and the speech bubble, you writing the manga, it just makes it easier to sometimes be like, well, why don't, why doesn't this character just say that to the other person? And so mm-hmm. I think less so than what it seems to be happening in Ha in like Rebuild 2. But to some degree in the manga, there are characters who are, are trying to reach out to each other and connect with each other. And it, it's also one of the, my favorite parts of the manga is that, um, there's this, there's a clearer thing running through around Ray, building up Ray as a character and building up this, um, mutual recognition between Ray and Shinji that they are like both abused and are trying to escape that and help each other escape that. Um, and there are things that happen. Like if you've seen the show, you know, if you've read the manga, <laughs> but if you've seen the show in particular, there's stuff that Shinji discovers about who Ray is that makes it like difficult for him to continue to connect with her. And I think in some ways that's one of the biggest things that like hinders further progress in the manga, um, where it still ends up better, but it's still this like kind of, they're just things that I'm like unsatisfied with the way that it ends. Um, and so I'm kind of excited about rebuild to see if it like even gets to something even stronger because it feels the most intentional about like both one and two end with Shinji reaching out to Ray. Um, Mm -hmm. and the one that happens in one also kind of happens in, in the show. Um, but them having a movie end with that is like impactful, especially when 
2 then ends with Shinji reaching out to Rei and, like, freeing her from, you know, being trapped in the angel or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm excited for all of of, of what that is ex- suggesting. Um, and the part that, like, gives me... There's two things that give me apprehension. One is that, like, they do build up... Why do people like Shinji? Like, they build up... Um, Rei, Asuka, and Misato far more as characters than I think the show does. Like, those characters are really good in the show, and yet there is a misogyny that, like, seeps into the show um, that always kind of cover colors some of that stuff yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, and this one, like, the part that's weird about it is that on one hand... I really do agree that, like, I like how this is setting up. This is developing these characters more. They're talking to each other more. I understand why people would like Shinji more. Shinji's reaching out to people and, like, making food for people and everything. Um, but also it, like, in doing so is also leaning into the, like, who is the best girl argument. Um, that I think actually the show, like, doesn't support as well as, like, this movie does. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's the part that is weird to me because it, Ava is a thing that often deals with anime tropes that are like gross anime tropes. And I think tries to complicate them and does not always succeed. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. In fact, often fails, but like, I still think it's sometimes admirable for the way that it is trying to complicate things. And so it's one of these things where I'm like, it feels like to some degree they could be trying to like complicate who's best girl as this like shitty fandom conversation and the like dating sim aspect of anime of like, Oh, all three girls are interested in this like main character boy. Who's kind of nondescript. Otherwise um, is kind of potentially like an audience insert. Um, That is certainly something that's happening in this, like into in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, Again, it gives us more character development, and so it's right. this thing where it's just like I have to see where this goes before I like can feel comfortable with what's happening in this movie. <laughs> it's real. The, the other thing that came up that I wanted to quick mention too is that yeah. the very end suggests that Gendo, like there are moments throughout the film, but the end in particular, that Gendo wants Shinji and Rei to connect in the way that like two ends, um, yes, which is not what. Gendo once at all in like the show or in End of Evangelion or the manga. Okay, that's interesting because I didn't I didn't remember I didn't remember that I I didn't remember what his goals for those two characters were in the show, and so I think in my brain I kind of wallpapered over like, okay, this must be like in line with what he wanted back then. You yeah, know? I mean, to some degree, it it is in line with what he wanted, but it was specifically with like him far more. Like, he is the one who's, you know, like, spoilers, I guess, also for End of Evangelion and stuff. But, like, in End of Evangelion, Gendo wants to be the one who is merging with Rey. That's, like, specifically what's happening in the scene where then she, like, takes Adam in his hand and says, like, no, I don't want to be with you, Commander Ikari. I I want to be with um, Shinji Ikari. Like... <laughs> you're not the mm-hmm. one that I want to be with. Um, mm-hmm. And that is like very specifically a denial of Gendo who throughout like basically the entire, you know, the show, the movie and the, 
you know, the end of Evangelion movie, um, and the manga wants to basically be united with Yui is like, I, I hate a world where I don't get to be with my dead wife. And so I just want to destroy the entire world so I can be with my dead wife. Um, right. And just like abuse and destroy everyone around me to, to get that. Um, and so like, I, it is harder for me to read exactly what, why would Gendo want like Shinji and Ray to reach out to each other in this way? Um, and I don't want it to be that like Gendo's trying to make things right because fuck Gendo. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't like, I, this was the thing that came up as well, which is that, um, Connor was reading an online, like, I think fan translation of the manga. Um, and I was reading the official, like, English volumes. Um, and there was a part that was not in mine, but was in his translation where it said, uh, like, Gendo's soul was saved or something. And we were both just like, fuck that. Like, cause my version, <laughs> like, really implies that, like, Gendo doesn't get anything and just, like, dies alone on the floor. Um, mm-hmm. and then in that scene, there's a thing over it that says his soul was saved in the version that, that Connor read. And it's like, no, <laughs> I don't want, any i don't want any version of ava that ever tries to redeem gendo like Mm -hmm. gendo is an irredeemable person to me um so yeah so a lot of it is just like i don't know what like q and the capo are going to be i don't know what what three and three plus one or whatever are, are going to be um and I feel like it's just really going to change, like, my opinion of, especially the second movie, because it's the, it is the one that is, like, complicating things. Um, I guess I have, like, two final thoughts from my part, and then we should talk about Akira. Uh, yeah. Unless you, ha- unless I say something and you're like, oh, I had something else to say. Uh, I don't want to, like, cut you off, but I guess, like, I hear, 100% what you're saying with your apprehension and I think maybe I don't feel it because one of the reasons that I hate End of Evangelion so much and a thing I really really like the series a thing that is challenging I will say about liking that series the way that I do is that I think there is like a deep misogyny that like pulses in its veins that really comes to a head in the in the movie and it is uh it's just tough to deal with it's just it's just like awful and um the the stuff like the first auto thing that i watched was gunbuster which is a show about like a friendship between two women, which just does not have the same sort of, like, hatred for women that, like, <laughs> courses through its veins in the same way um, that, like, Evangelion had, at least in the 90s. And I feel sort of like... I'm willing to give um, Rebuild the benefit of the doubt because it does not... That, like hatred for women does not feel present to me in rebuild to to where like yes i think some of the way that it leans into the best girl stuff is a little like objectifying and bad but is not one-tenth as bad as like 
the stuff that goes on in the show and in the original movie. Um, and then the other thought I had was just that, like, we've talked a lot about Ray and, uh, Shinji here. And I am a person who, when watching the series, really deeply latched on to Asuka. It's another reason that the movie is so hard for me, because I feel like that movie does her just so dirty. Um, it gives her the most, like, kick-ass, cool, triumphant moment that, like, the best thing that happens in Evangelion and then just kills her off ruthlessly and mercilessly and, like, rubs her face in it because everything she just did was pointless. Yeah. Um, it, it that char- that movie treats that character so badly, and, um, I am curious to see where this, these next two movies go with, like, Asuka ends 2.0 in a very bad way. Um, and I'm curious to see what's next for her when Shinji reached out to save Rei and did, (laughs) by circumstance, did not do the same thing for Asuka. Uh, there are reasons he didn't do that, but he didn't do that, and she is a character who is going to feel a certain way about that, I suspect, (laughs) you know? Um, um so this yeah. is also like you should read the manga at some point because um those events in end of eva where where like you know in end of eva shinji also doesn't save asuka and she just gets like she just gets killed in end of eva um that that happens differently in the manga and it happens like better for asuka um so but yeah. Anyway. Akira. Um, do we want to rate the stairwells? Real quick. Sure. Um, um Okay, you've got these in here. Cool. Yeah. Um it's 2007 and 2009. Uh, so I I uh am enabling your um Japanese title bullshit because I did put these in <laughs> I did put in oh. Godzilla Raids again as uh, Gojira no Gyakushu, because I like Godzilla's counterattack better as a title than Godzilla yeah. Raids again. I will just go full Japanese here. At first I put new uh, new theatrical edition, but I'm just going to put Shin Gekijoban. Just mm-hmm. really go in. Yeah. Um, um, what's the... S- I, I can think of some stairwells in 2.0. What are the stairwells in... Um... I don't remember 1.0. any in 2.0. So the the only one I remember in 1.0 is the like elevator, which happens in the the show too, where um, it's like after the scene in Ray's uh, apartment where Shinji goes to give the key card, and then they're going to Nerve, um, and Ray's kind of just ignoring him throughout all of it until he like swipes her card and is like, "Here, here's your new card." Um, and then they're writing down and having a conversation. Um, and I forget if it goes exactly the same in the movie, but like in the show, it's basically like, um, don't you trust your father's work? And Shinji's like, why would I trust my father? And then Ray slaps him. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's like, while they're writing down that escalator, that is just like an iconic escalator in anime. I think, um, I feel like that's the stairs. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I'm willing to give that like an A minus. Yeah, I'd say maybe I'd probably rate the show version higher. Yeah, I f- I feel like maybe I would do a, a B plus here. Okay, B plus. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like I I might um. I feel like I might rate the the version in the series higher, but mm-hmm. B plus for this one in one point Um, in two point I was going, and this is going to be controversial to suggest the sort of uh, redux of the the infamous elevator scene. Um, for for um people who are not familiar with Evangelion, um. In the show, there is a scene where Asuka and Rey are in a elevator and are fucking silent for, like, a minute and a half. Like, they do not move, they do not speak, and you, the viewer, just have to, like, watch this awkward pause for a very long time. And then they have an emotional conversation where they do not understand each other. And Asuka slaps Ray. In the movie, they're silent for like 10, five, 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Asuka um, sneezes and then they talk. <laughs> and, and Ray like stands up for herself. She does not slap Asuka back, but she, um, like, like stops oscar from slapping her and then like as oscar is walking out she does not storm off but she stands in the elevator doorway and says the things that are on her mind still you know yeah um i so this is for what this movie is trying to do a much better version of that scene um but i also i think i probably like the scene in the show better because um like it's it's a good it scene. It's, it's it's a just, very tragic scene. Like we talked on Ghost Divers yes. about how so much of the point of the scene for me is that it's these two girls who are being like traumatized by like the same system and the same man and yet are being like by the system made to believe that they are in competition with each other. And so they cannot talk to each other about like how they are hurting in the same ways. All they can do is like fight with each other mm-hmm. and not do anything productive. Um, and to, for me, like to some degree, that is the point of the scene is just that like both of them in the like traumatic abuse state that they are, are also in the way that like often happens with marginalized people. Marginalized people just like fight with each other instead of recognizing that like, no, actually we're just like dealing with the same fucking shit. Um, mm-hmm. and th- we are not actually in competition with each other. We're being told that we're in competition, competition with each other because if we're fighting each other, it benefits the people who have power. Um, and for me, that's like what's strong about the the elevator scene in the show, um, and it just like lingering for so long because it it emphasizes their inability to talk to each other about anything like meaningful or constructive, um, mm-hmm. and instead just like yell at each other, um, yeah. or well, Asuka does a lot of yelling and Ray does a lot of like snide jabbing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So how are we accepting this as a stairwell? It's an elevator, but. If we are, I feel like we need to update the No Regrets for Our Youth because this, 
the elevator is really significant there. That's true. I was also there was Oh no, not not no retro youth. Rebels of a Neon God, sorry. Um Oh yes. You might be right. We might not be we We maybe shouldn't accept the elevator here, in which case I feel like there was another stairwell in two point but I don't recall what it was, so two point might get a pretty bad rating here. Yeah. Um I don't remember, so I feel like F, but... Yeah, the only other thing I can think of is um, in the scene where in the show, Toji, um, like, like, gets called up to be a pilot or something. I I don't quite remember how that goes. But it's Toji uh, playing basketball and Shinji and... um, the other kid watching. Uh, that's what happens in the show. There is an insert shot of a stairwell that I thought just looked very nice, uh, but at best that brings it up to a D minus, and I I think probably just an F here, probably just yeah. an F. Yeah, its best stairwell scene is in an elevator, and it is a uh, spin on a previous elevator scene. So I think that is an F. Yeah. I feel okay with that. Okay. Um, um, Akira. Akira. Uh, okay. Akira. 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 <laughs> <laughs> we just watched it. Emily coached while we were watching it. Akira. Okay. I think. <laughs> Let me... Let me... Um lay out some like groundwork for what this is akira is a manga that ran from 1982 to 1990 uh it is a it is a sign-in manga it was a huge hit in japan like massive like probably one of the like biggest manga ever like probably one of the Probably one of the biggest manga ever, you know? Um, yeah. Like, it was a success on the level that um, Evangelion was a success a few years later. Um, and, uh, like I say, this is, I think, important. It ran from 1982 to 1990. Um, in 1988, they produced a film um, directed by the mangaka Katsuhiro Otomo. Um and um i mean honestly this probably took a while to animate so yeah this is probably like being produced i'm gonna look at this list of volumes real quick for akira um like so the third volume came out in 1986 the fourth volume comes out in 1987 they were almost certainly working on the movie while volumes three and four were coming out like almost certainly um so uh this movie is a sort of like compressed uh telling of like the the story of akira um and neither of us have read the entire manga i think we've both read the first volume at this point or you're working on the first volume yeah so i'm not going to spend too much time comparing it but like 
I, I bring all this up to say that, like, Akira is a very strange movie at times, a very, like, compressed movie that moves at a rapid clip and doesn't always make a great deal of sense. Um, and I think because of these things, it is one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> um, I think, um, you don't need to know what's happening. You need to enjoy the aesthetic experience of these two boys, Kaneda and Tetsuo, um, who are living in a sort of like post World War Three Japan where Tokyo has been like hit with a nuclear blast. Um, and there are like kids throughout the country who are developing like psychic powers, Tetsuo being one of them. Uh, and like, the government is trying to like, like step in and like watch over these kids and like turn them into weapons, and it goes pretty fucking badly. This is all set against a backdrop of like widespread civil civil unrest and juvenile delinquency, and um, like things just kind of keep escalating and escalating until like. Kaneda and Tetsuo are shooting lasers at each other and, like, growing limbs and, like, uh, taking out orbital lasers, um, <laughs> and eventually, like, beginning the birth of a new universe and, like, saying farewell to each other one last time. Um, I love this movie. I love this movie. I love this yeah. movie. <laughs> um... um. <clears throat> So some like uh, so for me, we we talked about this in now the previous episode, like the first times we watched it, and one, I I was very high when I first watched this movie, <clears throat> and I forgot that there's actually a lot of dialogue. Um, I don't know if any of the dialogue improved <laughs> my experience <laughs> of the film, um, like. The the plot is again not what I really care about here. Um and really so much of it for me is just like how fucking incredible this animation is. Especially so I I did some research like while we were watching it because I, I just wanted to check. Um so this involved uh so it was like let me look at the exact amount. Um, I have like two things up. So it was over 1 billion yen to animate, um, which is just like very high for Japanese animation. Mm-hmm. And it used, um, approximately 160,000 animation frames that were drawn by hand. Pretty much everything that you see in this movie was hand drawn. Um, but I did want to look into it a little bit. The, the one exception is there's the, like (laughs) the iTunes visualization. I was joking. Um, but like (laughs) the, the thing that, um, whatever the doctor's name is, um, the thing that he's looking at that was created with computer animation, which is is fairly obvious when you're watching it, I think. Um, Computers were also used for plotting the path of falling objects. So they, w- they would use it to like basically kind of figure out what's the like, you know, particle effect in like a very low 
you know, early 3D animation way, but like, there's so many explosions, there are so many things that are like flying around here, and I guess they use computers to not actually do the drawing, but to like basically kind of plot it out so they can be like, okay, in order for us to get like some very good realistic like arcs and movements and things, this will like help us do it better. Um, Mm -hmm. And they also used it to model some of the parallel uh, parallax effects to, to like get it. And then I guess they did tweak some of the, the lighting and lens flare. So after they like um, produced some of the images, they did like tweak it a little bit, but um, and so like, and at the time, like this level of computer involvement in animation was completely unprecedented. Yes. Um, I couldn't find anything to confirm this. I took a, a class back in, um, undergrad where it was heavily implied at least. And I don't know if this is true. Um, definitely like Akira got ahead of American animation in a very significant way. Um, and Beauty and the Beast either like intentionally or just like by way of coming after. But like there are scenes in Beauty and the Beast where they use computers to plot out like, okay, how's the like camera going to swing as she's in the library or whatever? How are we going to do this dance scene? Um, and be able to have like camera movement. And that was three years later. Um, and so like what this movie represents was just like this, I think for me, this like, incredible triumph of um, hand-drawn animation that was, like, just beginning to use computers, but not in a way that, like, actually subtracts from the, the like, richness, I think, that you get from these hand-drawn, mm. uh, like, this older animation style. Um, it was only, like, brought into just kind of, like, support, and in the same way that, like, for a long time... Things like, um, you know, they would shoot, like, film of people moving and then, like, rotoscope to to help get, like, realistic, you know, walk cycles or something. Um, This has been, like, an animation technique since animation, like, film animation was a thing. Um, Right. And so they were starting to use computers to, like, do some of that um, in ways that you couldn't easily shoot on film. But it's still just, like all hand animated beyond, you know, again, the, the iTunes visualization. (laughs) Um, and I feel like after this, like you, you never really like get this level because, you know, we were talking about the Evangelion films previously, and those are like beautifully animated. And yet you can tell that they're using like cell shaded, um, 3d figures Mm -hmm. for like the Ava's moving around. Mm -hmm. Um, like, especially for me as, like, a person who's often tuned into animation techniques, I'm like, there's a lot of 3D animation that's happening. Um, and sometimes it's more obvious than others, but, like, basically all of the, the fights, which are beautifully choreogra- choreographed in that, but they're using this 3D animation. And, like, on one hand, it, like, I do want people to just be able to make films and not have to like destroy themselves drawing all these frames but jesus christ this movie's beautiful so <laughs> it is it is such a weird thing because you know uh as a person who uh did a podcast where we talked about every single ghibli film um i am uh acutely aware of the way that producing uh anime movies destroys people's <laughs> lives <laughs> yeah um i'm going to say i would not be surprised 
if the Ava movies also destroyed people's lives. <laughs> yes. Um uh, the 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 literally the last if you go to the Wikipedia page for uh this movie, um the last paragraph in the production section is um about uh just a, a list almost of animators who died um not because of this movie but died at a young age um and worked on this movie um yeah so uh yeah like my my second favorite ghibli movie um like l- making it killed the director of it whisper of the heart like yeah so on the one hand, I'm like acutely aware of that. And also, <laughs> uh, that is not to make an excuse for this, but, um, the things that they produced are just amazing. Like the ways that like so much, uh, anime and, um, Western animation, um, will just kind of like draw like sort of like a mouth moving, but not like, it's sort of like in the rhythm with the words, whereas like yeah, this movie like goes to the, I'm sure absolutely excruciating lengths of like syncing up how a character's jaw is moving with how an actor is reading a line. Um, yeah, th- this is another thing I read, which was that they, uh, which this is unusual for animation. They recorded all of the dubbing line, like all of the the you know, voice acting before they animated it so that they could actually get like mouth shapes and jaw movement <clears throat> movements and everything to line up. Whereas normally you'll kind of have like, here's the lines. We kind of move them off like this. And if it's really low end, you kind of just have like a mouth shape moving when people are supposed to talk. Um, and if it's a little bit higher, you might like have it and then people read the lines and then maybe you like go in and tweak some of the animations um to like try and get some of the sounds to match up a little bit more this is also this is also how they did uh only yesterday my favorite ghibli movie um and that is a movie um that is a movie that is sort of like bifurcated into like sort of a present day story and a story um taking place in the protagonist's memories um and in the memories they don't do that because um because they want the memories to look more just like, you know, sort of an anime that a viewer might have watched as a kid. Um, but the, like, also because, um, doing that for the present day scenes was like the most painstaking, like excruciating, difficult to animate thing that, um, Taka, Takahata and his team had worked on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, yeah. they never do it again for any other Ghibli movie. Uh, it's just this one because it is a, pain in the ass and also because uh takahata and uh hayao miyazaki i i think are very petty men um i i would believe you if you told me they felt shown up by akira and wanted to do the same thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but yeah like beyond that like it is just like a movie where like like there are these like shots that are just like showing off of like 
motorcycles like moving down the highway and the camera like riding along with them that are very easy to do when you have a camera in a physical space but like fucking impossible to do in like 2d animation you know um unless you know you're just willing to spend um a billion yen in 1990 uh 1988 and you're willing to just like you know work all day and all night and just like you know not have a family not (laughs) uh yeah it is like yeah it is just the most like beautiful movie i've ever seen (laughs) yeah Um, um and it sounds beautiful the uh the the like soundtrack to this movie is fucking incredible um like it is this I found myself reaching for the word otherworldly. I don't want to say that because, um, like, I don't think it's otherworldly. I think it is drawing from, like, very real, like, you know, music cultures, uh, of the 1980s and, uh, uh, but just, like, not ones that I hear in other movies. It is a unique thing in the world of cinema, uh, and I think it is fucking fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the the other thing that always like stands out to me with this film is that I like it hit America like not too long after it came out. Um it it was like a I I think it was kind of to some degree intentionally made to have like some international appeal as well. Um and like I'm I'm trying to look up some of the dates right now, but like Toonami launched in 2012. Um, you know, like Dragon Ball Z, I think, came out in the U.S. in like 1996. Um, you said 2012. Did you mean 1992? Um, wait for what? You said Toonami launched in 2012. Um. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, so there was Cartoon Network, but then like. Yeah, there, I forget what it was, yeah, so Toonami, 1997. Yeah. Um, but like, so there, really, as a, there's like a bunch of different dates that I'm seeing, cause it, some of this stuff gets weird, but, um, this one says 1995, that is still like, significantly after, I think, like, Akira had already hit. And for me, as someone who, like, does an anime podcast, part of what is interesting about all of this is that I I feel like Akira, even for Japan, was, like, a unique thing. The way that it was animated was, like, unique and spectacular. Um, also... The character, like the way that characters are just designed, are not completely out of place for some like sign-in anime stuff, like stuff that would be like more geared towards like adult audiences, but is still like noticeably different than like even at the time, like in the eighties, what the dominant anime style was. Um, and for a while, like this. Like, this was, in many ways, the U.S.'s introduction to anime. Um, 
to such an extent that for probably back then people would call it Japanimation, um, like <laughs> Hugh Grant. <laughs> but, and, and really it's not until like Dragon Ball, Sailor Moon, like Pokemon is a, a big driver, I think, of this as well. Um, like it's not until those things like really start hitting the US that that image kind of shifts. But that I think also in those early days, like when I was still young, when I was watching this, like in middle school or high school, if I guess it would have been high school if I was getting high. <laughs> um, I was not quite getting high yet in middle school, but pretty early <laughs> high school. Um, anime was still this weird thing where there was like this highly localized dubbed version that you would see on TV. And then there was like, what like Akira represented, but then also reached into like, again, I watched this the same night as legend of the Overfiend, um, which is like a significantly like more violent and like sexual and um, like horny anime than this. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I, I think like what that space was, was more complicated, but then was also like bifurcated into like this extremely sanitized for like child audiences in the U S and then this like highly, um, eroticized, I think in ways that like looking back are also kind of, um, like exoticizing of this culture, I think, but like, you know, like hentai was like a thing that people knew about, but it was like this, you know, this is the age of like websites being like, no hentai here, you know, that would be like, talk, <laughs> you know, some fan page about like Sailor Moon or whatever. Um, and those like, those things have like coalesced more in the way that like a lot of the internet has, I think as well, where really the dominant thing that we just get a lot of in the U S now is like shonen. Um, uh-huh. and it's not the same, like four kids dub shonen stuff, but we are still like primarily getting that. Like we are kind of getting what was on TV, but we're like getting it more accurately translated where it's a little bit more complex. Um, they aren't like sanding off any reference to potential queerness or sexuality or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, And then people just, like, are able to kind of access, like, what are some of the other stuff that exists? And especially, you know, anime nerds know how to, like, access fan translations and things. But, like, Mm -hmm. I'm excited about Nana coming out in, like, a, a release finally coming out again. Because, like... It is so distinctly different than what, like, the primary shonen thing that we receive in the West is now. Um, and it's just weird to me how, like, whenever I think of Akira, I think of, like, this time where, um, what anime was, was, like, so, like, we've kind of, the, the ends have come together. And yet also I feel like to a certain degree, Back then, there was a sense of, like, wow, there's just, like, so much stuff that's going on in Japanese animation. Um, and I think a lot of American fans have, like, a, a, like, feel like they have a clearer sense. And yet, also, that clearer sense has been shaped by, like, the way that companies are selling specifically shonen 
anime to the U.S. because it is, like, what sells the best. Like, yes. Um, a lot of, like, Jose, like, a lot of the stuff that's for adult women just is never going to come out here, and a lot of people aren't even looking for it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even shoujo stuff, I feel like, is, like, rarer to come to the U.S. than yes. shonen stuff. Um, yes. And so, yeah, this is just, like, in this weird place where, um, in addition to being a movie that's very exciting to watch, I think it also, like, occupies this weird place in my brain of, like, when I was watching this, it was, like, this movie was, like, taboo to be watching in high school, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In a way that I don't actually think it necessarily is. Watching it now, I'm just like, yeah, this is an anime. Like, it's a, <laughs> you know, I've seen Ghost in the Shell. I've seen, like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I've seen, like, a... like, movies for adults. <laughs> right, right. Um. Well, yeah, like, it... it... Not to be all, you know, comic books aren't just for kids anymore, sort of, but, like, um, there is still something to this movie, like, decades later, that, like, in the U.S., animated movies do not get this sort of treatment. Anime, or animated... (laughs) Not anime movies, animated movies, because I'm specifically talking about U.S. productions here. Mm-hmm. Animated films are children's films. Um, like, they're often cheaply made, and even the ones that are expensively made, like, say, Kubo, um, are children's films. Um, even the ones that are, like, different or new or exciting, they are children's films. Um... Movies like this don't get made in the U.S., um, and so there is still something sort of magical about, I think decades later, about, like, this medium could be so much more, um, and, like, it is sometimes, you know? Like, sometimes you get this, and sometimes you get only yesterday, and, like, you know, it's not every day that you get to watch something like Akira, but like, yeah, it's really special when, <laughs> when something like Akira comes into, yeah. Like when I, when I saw Akira, I was 22 years old. I'd been like a film person for like, you know, years and years. And like, I was a dumb 20 year old. I'm still a dumb 20 year old, but um, like, I just hadn't seen anything like Akira because it's just, just like a sort of singular thing. I think you know um yeah and also it's sick as shit <laughs> this <It's> incredible <laughs> and did you know they had to movie... die an entire town's neon supply to get some of these shots <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, is we just... make a variation of this joke like with every movie that we watch we just do it while we're watching the movie <laughs> Yeah, but people don't know, like, the genesis of that joke, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> um, like, it's just a movie about, like, you know, teenagers, like, running around on, like, riding around on motorcycles and, like, hitting each other with baseball bats and, like, um, you know, psychic teddy bears, like, assembling themselves and like oozing goo to look scary and like yeah i've seen kanye (laughs) (laughs) and like 
um, orbital, like, a kid, like, flies up into space in his Superman outfit, um, and, like, takes down an orbital laser. Oh, Superman. (laughs) (laughs) Um... The first time I watched this movie was so funny because I was like, I feel like this movie's trying to say something and I can't piece together like totally what it is because like there is so much imagery like the movie begins and ends with like an atomic blast essentially in Tokyo yeah. um, that wipes out the Olympics specifically the second time. <laughs> um, there is... Um, you know, Tetsuo is running around in a Superman cape. Um, like, there is a Stargate sequence at the end as, like, the sort of, like, juvenile delinquents and the kids who were, like, raised by the state to be super weapons sort of, like, ascend and, like, escape the confines of, like, you know, the material world and its capitalism and its, you know, like violence um and try to create something new um and the first time i watched this movie i was like i think this is all trying to say something and i can't figure out what it is and the second time i watched this movie i'm like oh yeah there's like a lot of ideas here that don't cohere into anything that i'm sure cohere into something in the manga like i'm sure it is a more specific thing in the manga in this it's just kind of like just kind of like you get all the sort of like angst of like you know where japan was at in the 1980s and just like yeah there's just a sort of like angst to it that doesn't like cohere into a message i don't think it is just like here are all these sort of like psychic preoccupations that uh otomo was working through uh and i think it's fucking good i think it's fucking good as hell it is it's extremely evocative um and it's also like part of what i love about it too is that at the same time that it is just like incredible and just still holds up as an amazing piece of animation. Um, there's also parts of it that feel so of its time, but like not in a bad way, but just like, like the choice for colors in this just really make me feel like I'm like reading old comic books. Yeah. Um, from when like colors in comic books were good. <laughs> and not the like shitty colors they do now um there's just like pinks and greens and like yeah the like the colors in the like the yellow is like a specific yellow that i just feel like i don't see the, the same way anymore um and all of that just like again like it feels so of its time and yet it is still also like such a singular and incredible thing um that it's just like no like these colors were good why don't we do these yeah. colors anymore <laughs> <laughs> uh and the answer is that like most animated films are made inexpensively <laughs> yeah <laughs> um uh yeah what else about this movie um I'm trying to think. I don't know. I just fucking love this thing. I don't. I don't. I, uh, yeah. I don't know if I have like a ton more to say about this movie other than I just fucking love it. Um, it is such a singular thing. I think. Um, 
And even though there are some things that are kind of like Akira, like it is just a fucking magical movie. I think um, that just makes me feel like ah, oh, movies can be fucking anything you want them to be. Every time I watch it, you know, yeah, uh, because this movie is like six different things. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the few movies that like. And in some ways, it is even more that, like, like there's dialogue in Redline. Uh, most of the times that I've watched it, I've watched the uh, Japanese, like, language version with just no subs turned on. Um, because <laughs> I really don't fucking care what anyone is saying in Redline. Um, it is not at all what that movie is about. Um, like, to an even stronger degree than this. But I feel like... That is, like, one of the other few movies that I've seen where it's just such a, like, it is, the experience for me is just about watching how people animate things and being really excited about animation itself. Mm. Um, Just being like, wow, the way that they, like, they're just drawing shit and it looks fucking good. Um, Mm. It's really exciting just to see things that are animated and the way that people can create these things. Um and yeah, part of it is like, this is a thing where I feel like you can see that there is a story there and it is just like, it's not necessarily that it's not interested in the story, but that it is like such a big lumbering beast of an animation project that is coming out and like being worked on before the manga has even wrapped up and is trying to figure out how to condense all of this and everything um Mm -hmm. that i you know i often don't care that much about the plots of movies (laughs) but i extremely (laughs) don't with akira um Mm -hmm. and, and redline is the same thing but just like more intentionally so i think um where it's just like what you need to know is that these people are racing that's like really mm. what you need to know. <laughs> um, and it's just like good and exciting to me to just see what people can, can do just like drawing a bunch of fucking pictures and, you know, shooting them with a camera and then putting it in front of you. Um, animation is such an exciting art form and there's stuff that is happening in various spaces. Like at some point we should watch some Don Hertzfeldt because I think it's really interesting to see what is someone who's like lovingly animating everything and is basically doing it solo. Um, and thus cannot draw these like lavish images. Like it's a bunch of stick figures most of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is still like doing this kind of work because, um, you know, I, I had some training in animation, but like, especially watching Don Hertzfeldt stuff and then like looking into how he animated things, um, really like opened my eyes to animation as an art form. Um, because I think it's like even more plain when you're seeing it of like what's happening. Um, and sometimes it, it kind of just makes me sad that like so much of it gets used on like family guy. <laughs> Like, you know, just like right. little like stock figures and frames moving around in like stock settings, um, just to like deliver jokes and like, you know, there's a bunch of that stuff that I still like and enjoy. Not Family Guy, but like there's stuff that I mean, falls I, into that I, animation style that's great and fine and I enjoy. But like, God, animation could be so fucking incredible. Um. 
I so I I was talking earlier about um um Harley Quinn the the TV show mm-hmm. and like that is not a show that I think could exist in live action. I think there is like a way that that show tells jokes that like would not work in live action. Um I think there's a way that that show like just puts goofy looking dudes on screen that doesn't work in live action. Um, it has to be an animated show, but it's not like I'm getting excited about the medium of animation and its differences from live action by watching it. I'm just like, ah, yes, this is a really good TV show that, uh, is made what it is by be by the medium, you know, like, it's not like I'm like, ah, what a unique and like, you know, exciting, like version of the art form i just like when comic book characters get into like slice of life situations you know <laughs> yeah um uh and like yeah I, I just fucking love akira and yes we should um like i would lean toward if we did don Hertzfeld talking about it's such a beautiful day but that's also because it's the only one i've seen so if you wanted to talk about something else i would be like elated to like see more of like what he's done. So Yeah. I, I feel like it's a thing where um we'll probably do like there are multiple Don Hertzfeld things that I'd watch. Um and so like I think it would be fun to do uh um probably do like the full movie version of It's Such a Beautiful Day. Um but the other thing that I think could be like fun and interesting would be to do a bunch of his early shorts. Um and kind of just talk about like, like we can we can fill in a bunch of shorts as like a runtime of a movie. Um, oh yeah. So I think that could be fun as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool animation that I I think we can and will do at some point. Yeah. Um. um. <laughs> there's actually a um, I I I forget the name. It's like Lily and Jim or something. Um. There's a Don Hertzfeld animation that's mostly just talking heads, but he, like, literally recorded the conversation and then did the thing of drawing the malls, like, forming all of the words. And he was like, this is, like, so fucking annoying and painstaking. (laughs) 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 So, there we go. Connection with Akira. Um... Um... Yeah, this is the thing where I'm like, I don't have a lot to say other than it looks fucking good. Oh, I was going to say a thing I remembered from earlier, um, which was just that, um, like, uh, what am I trying to reach for here? I think, like, paying attention to the plot of Akira is maybe, like, a mistake a little bit, um, because if you pay attention too much, you're like, why is Tetsuo so mad at uh, at Kaneda all the time? And if you, if you read the book, it makes sense. Um, and if you watch the, like, last ten minutes of the movie, it makes sense. But for the first 90 minutes of the movie, you're like, why is... What is Tetsuo's fucking problem? Why is this bottom being so uppity? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, like, yeah, that doesn't matter. I don't care why Tetsuo is mad. What I care about is, like seeing these two friends just like the fall apart um and like fail to like you know 
these two people who are really close just get driven apart by like you know the state's machinations and um then start shooting lasers and throwing buildings at each other you know that's the shit that yeah. i care about <laughs> <laughs> yeah um do we want to rate the stairwell and then also did we get emails for this i know we did like multiple calls for emails i'm fairly certain we did um do you want to like talk about what the stairwell is while i pull up these emails um do, do we have a specific stairwell in mind i was gonna say there is a recurring stairwell um is it the one that goes into the the bar Yes, yes. It was like one of the very first shots of the movie and then reoccurs a couple times. Yeah. Um yeah, we can we can talk about that one. I'm like Um I'm gonna I'm gonna forward you these two uh emails from Juo and Rick. Okay. Um I really fucking like that uh stairwell though, is what I'll say. Yeah. Um I mean, it's not, like, a a particularly fancy stair... Like, I would not say... Especially if this was a film. I would not be like, oh, such an ornate stairwell. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything is just so incredibly drawn in this film that... Yes. It kind... Like, it is ornate in the sense of how they draw this stuff. <laughs> it is like a... If it was a live action movie, you'd be like, oh, that's a dirty stairwell. But because it's an animated movie, you're like, they drew so many little bits of garbage on these stairwell here. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, like graffiti like and shit. I like it because it recurs. I like because at the, at the start of the movie, you get the just like rando guy like smoking a cigarette and like walking down the stairwell. Um, and then later in the movie, you get the first person shot of like Tetsuo sort of like in a, like, uh, drug withdrawal haze, like, stumbling down these stairs, and then, um, like, finally you get, um, like, two of Kanade's friends, like, going down the stairs, like, oh, we're just gonna go to the bar tonight, and then down there is, like, Tetsuo in a murderous rage. Um, Yeah, or having just murdered a bunch of, like, killed the bartender, absolutely destroyed the bar, um, and then, like, turning on them. Um, oh, if you like Blood and Guts, and I do, uh, this is a great movie for you, I gotta say. Uh, yeah. I'm a lot bigger on Blood than Guts, but... Um, yeah. yeah. Th- same, same, but um, Guts are good, too. Um, so, what do, we, what do I want to rate this? I feel like it's a fairly high rating. Like, yeah. it's got some good... Um, like it's it's well drawn. Uh, it's I think used fairly well. The seeing it multiple times and then it being this like like really it is, it is Tetsuo like starting to turn on everyone. I mean he's kind of already been doing this, but it's like the him just like full on um, dejected delinquent has been given the power of God <laughs> and is. Mm-hmm. Using it to just, like, fuck up everyone who he ever knew. So, um... I might give this another A-. minus. Like, I don't think it gets top marks, but I do yeah. really like this one. Yeah. I really, really like this one. I think A- minus makes sense. Yeah. Um, so... 
you have the pick for our next movie. Do you know what you're thinking um, about? Do you want to do the emails first and then... Yes, let's do the emails first. Okay. From Zhuo. Uh, hi, Ornate Stairwellers. Um, couple of questions based on previous episodes. One, what is a favorite example... What is your favorite example of a good impression of bad acting? Mulholland Drive is cheating here. Um, I don't... Uh, Mulholland Drive. Oh, uh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, a good oh, impression you know of bad acting. This is not it, but I do have an answer to this that is, like, sort of in the spirit of this, maybe. Yeah. Um... At the very start of Evangelion 2.0, um, they have um, Kaji's like Japanese voice actor um, speak English a little bit, uh, and he clearly does not speak English, and so is just like reading phonetic English and doing a very bad job of it. And then in the rest of the movie is like you know a, a pretty like skilled good voice actor that like I plays a character I love, you know, like a totally just like normal character but at the very start like <laughs> this poor guy just like came into the studio one day and Anna was like hey it's been like 15 years since we had you like in the show and stuff and we're excited to have you back uh day one i need you to re- do a really bad reading of english lines i know i know you can't speak english it's fine just do your best <laughs> yeah um the one that I'm thinking of is potentially I it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't actually know if how much I like would say oh, the actual like them acting at being bad at acting is really good. Uh but there are parts in Dead or Alive Two Birds where um they are like in costumes doing a, a play, um like on a stage. Um and I remember those scenes being really good, and also it's supposed to be Yakuza guys, like, <laughs> acting as these characters in a play, so I might say that. Um, we'll get to Daughter Alive Two Birds at some point. We've talked about this, we keep returning to it, but I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a masterpiece. Um, Second question from Joao. Uh, which obscure art movie that is a meditation on something would you show to a four-year-old kid? Uh, I just realized, Miss Sittens, this is an autobiographical question, and the j- movie for me was Dreams by uh, uh, Kurosawa. Uh, that that was me reading something that Joe 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 placed uh, parenthetically in the email, not me just saying that I watched Dreams at four it's years. It would be like you haven't seen Dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying. Trying to think. Uh, I am very tickled at the thought of showing a four-year-old uh, the seventh seal. Um, <laughs> I don't know that that's my answer, but it is a very fun thought. Um, let me open my letterbox to see if I've got any good answers here. Um, yeah, I'm thinking as someone who is. It's not an obscure movie out, either. Oh yeah, yeah. Two years out from having a four-year-old, that I could show uh, art movies to. (laughs) Let let me let me think about this. Um, I do think that Dreams is a pretty good one, just because, like, it's it's a bunch of vignettes, so you know, 
if the child's like losing some interest, like there's going to be another, um, there'll, there'll be another like, you know, whole premise soon to maybe reel them back in. Um, also there's like foxes having weddings and stuff. It's cute. It's a cute movie. Um, I'm really <laughs> taken with the thought of <laughs> showing a four-year-old the Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> um, because the thought that crossed my mind, and I haven't seen this movie, is like, oh, Wes Anderson, Fantastic Mr. Fox, that's an animated movie. I'm sure a four-year-old has seen that, and I don't know if it's appropriate for a four-year-old to see or not, but like that movie exists. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, I am just <laughs> making myself laugh at the thought of like, all right, uh, it's your fourth birthday. Time for you to understand, um, how, um, abuse, uh, uh, like can destroy a family. And, um, you know, like, I'm going to have to like pause the movie halfway through to explain to you what cocaine is. <laughs> um, two other ones I thought of. Mm-hmm. One is 2001 A Space Odyssey. Because it's just a good sci-fi movie. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like there's not anything... I mean, it would go beyond, like, a, a four-year-old's understanding, for sure. But also, 2001 A Space Odyssey, to me, is just, like, a symphony, but as a film. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, I think they would still get some of it. It, it would be long, and everything but um and then the other one that i i thought about and then this is the one that i i laughed at myself um <laughs> uh a little bit more just like now i'm completely drawing a blank in my head i had it and it like slipped through my fingers i have maybe a real answer that's not a joke like the seventh seal um I, maybe the, like, 1979 uh, Aim for the Ace movie, because, like, on the one hand, it's just a very pretty cartoon, um, where you could just show a kid that, and they'd just be like, oh, cute cartoon, um, and on the other hand, like, I watch that movie, and I'm like, ah, yes, this is, like, a movie about how, like, um, youth athletics um is like bad (laughs) you know um and the ways in which like you know uh adults put expectations on young people um that like unravel those young people's lives um uh, i i remember mine it's a good cartoon you go yeah uh the taste of tea um, and I kind of laughed at that because, um, at first I was like, yeah, it's like one of the subplots is about like the little girl in the family trying to do a flip on like the, the horizontal bar, um, in order to no longer be followed around by like a giant version of her. Um, you know, the story about the Yakuza with the poop on its head is kind of funny. Like, uh, it, it's, it seems like it's just like a pretty cute movie and then i remember that there is uh a plot there are like two plots that are specifically about like stuff that is getting into like 
messy relationships and um like people beating up their abusers where i was like hmm maybe that wouldn't be a good one to show to a child but (laughs) (laughs) um i do love that movie Last question from Juo. Um, choose one of the movies covered by the podcast to have a manga version that goes beyond the story of the film. Uh, I got a fucking layup here. It's The Hunger. Like, that's fucking easy. Yeah. That shit writes itself. <laughs> God, I would read the, the Hunger manga in a fucking second. Just... Oh, my God. Yeah, and, and there is so much more story you could tell after the end of that movie, you know? Um, yeah. Like, I don't need more Rebels of the Neon God. It's perfect as it is, right? Like, I, I, so, at first I was like, oh, I'm going to jokingly say a BL uh, Butch Cassidy manga. Um, (laughs) Or, I think you could do Angels of the Universe as either a BL manga or a, like, very serious, like, you know, Inio Asano, um, like, let's fucking draw these characters as their lives fall apart and, like, their understanding of reality deteriorates and blah 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 like i think you could do that version of it either way uh but the hunger is the right choice here like i'm not yeah it's the fucking hunger (laughs) there's so much there's so much story you can tell there there's so many great horny scenes of people drinking blood that you could draw it's great um also juo's part of question three was tell me how the stairwell is depicted in the comic uh, you don't have to worry about that with the hunger. Like, that's fucking Stairwell City, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I bet I bet the manga of the hunger has an so, S-quality stairwell. Rick asks, uh, I have not read this beforehand, so I'm going to probably read this pretty straight through and maybe um, like cut some stuff here and there. Uh, cause it goes, it's a little long. It's not like unbearably long or anything, but, um, so been enjoying the podcast. Um, I do really enjoy, uh, the film Akira, even if my, in my mind, uh, even if my mind is much more often thinking of the comic, the movie lives in the same space that both Nausicaa and Lynch's Dune live in, where the movies are fun, often scattershot recreations of scenes from original works, but because I have the context in my brain, it is stitching them all together in my brain as I watch them. Uh, I think it is fun how big and influential Akira the film is. Uh, it still isn't widely known. I think that uh, it is the film that they recorded the VO before it was animated, uh, etc. Um... Or that there are many cityscapes drawn for the film um, that, like, will show up in slivers in scenes to fill up space between buildings. Um, so, like, it, Rick has attached here, like, this immense, gorgeous drawing of, um, like, the city skyline, basically. And then in the next is, like, a screenshot where you can sort of see, like... There's some characters in the foreground and a couple of buildings. And then between a couple of buildings, you can see a tiny little slice of that painting um, that they did. Um, and that apparently that huge, beautiful like painting of the city, like that shot where it appears in between two buildings is the only time that shows up in the film. 
uh, kind of like what you were talking about with Joan of Arc last time, where they yeah. built damn castle and then only had close-ups of faces. <laughs> um, Rick says he's keeping most of his secure thoughts in uh, in his head for future podcasts about the comics. Um, so I have questions about things that are tangentially related and a lot about Yakuza films and other media uh, because I'm also a big fan of those. Uh, Rick asks... Is Neve acquainted with the works of Ryochi uh, Ikigami? Um, specifically thinking of Sanctuary as it is entirely up your alley. So I was wondering if you've read the story of two childhood friends uh, deciding to go into the Yakuza um, and uh, take over 80, 80s Tokyo together. <laughs> um, I have read some. Um, the The big one that I've read is Crying Freeman. Um, I love Crying Freeman a lot. Um, definitely something that I, I, I would read more of his works. Um, he is definitely like a manga artist known for doing Yakuza stuff. Um, so yeah, one of the things is just that like for a lot of my life, it has been easier to fit in, uh, audio stuff or like video stuff, I think, than just like sitting down and reading. Um, but, yeah, I have read through a lot of Crying Freeman, um, and it is one of those things where I'm like, on one hand, this is like, I, this is really stupid. It's about like, uh, an assassin who is like brainwashed to, to go kill people. Um, and the human like remaining inside of him whenever he kills someone is like overtaken with grief. And so he starts crying. Um, and that's a dumb premise and yet I love it. <laughs> it's fucking great. Um, also notable for being, um, so the, uh, Ryochi Ikigami, the, the, he does the illustrations for it. Um, it was written by Kasuo Koike who did like Lone Wolf and Cub, I think is the big one that a lot of people would know. Um, but yeah, uh, Ikigami's like illustrations are specifically what, um, Nonaka's is parodying when he does the Crow High illustrations. So like Kumari High School is just literally cribbing his style. Um, and I love his style. It's great. <laughs> Um, yeah, I should read more. Um, do you like, uh, more recent, uh, Kitano films? Uh, Rick says he's enjoyed, uh, the Vengeance films, but they are way meaner and nastier and less about the ennui compared to stuff like Sonatine. Yeah, I, in general, I like, um, a lot of Takeshi Kitano stuff. I do think, like, Sonatine is just my favorite film, I think, ever. Um, and I think I I find what it's doing like with the genre more interesting overall. I think mm-hmm. um we, we will like maybe get to that when we talk more about like Sonatine and Hanabi. Um, but I feel like in some to like some degree he was at one time messing with the yakuza like genre a little bit more and that was exciting to me um and in some of the like more recent ones that i've seen i feel like he's he's kind of just doing the genre um and sometimes that can be fun like what the genre is now and sometimes that can be fun but also um i don't know (laughs) um it's kind of an incomplete answer but yeah um 
I think Autumn, you would enjoy the, uh, the Zatoichi films as they are just seemingly well-crafted, uh, 90 minute adventure stories in a way that you get a bunch, you get a bit more if you watch them in order, but you can also jump around, uh, if you want. Uh, and you've both been talking about, uh, watching adventure movies on other podcasts a bunch. I, uh, so, so I'll say first off, like the Zatoichi movies have been like, sort of on my list for a very long time and also not um i have been dimly aware of them since i was like 15 years old um uh, and like i have been aware of the zatoichi movies since i was like 15 years old and for a long time i was like i don't fucking know how you watch these because there's a million of them yeah. um and like as i've gotten older i've just like come to understand especially doing gotham city limits like the last like two months i'm like ah i am happier when i let go of like my continuity brain a little bit and just like read the batman comics that interest me without being just about it um like just like watch and read the stuff that catches my eye without being sort of like an obsessive weirdo about it um yeah i think especially uh, with things that are just like as big and sprawling as the zadoichi stuff it's the kind of thing where it's just like if you really want to like go watch like the tale of zadoichi and maybe like the tale of zadoichi continues um and then kind of just like jump around but it's one of those things where it's like if someone was like man, I want to, like, get into Godzilla, but I don't know, like, what I should do. I'd be like, well, you should watch the original Godzilla. And then, like, you could go in order if you wanted, but also, like, if you're not making a project of it where you're doing a like, extensive podcast with your wife, like, maybe just (laughs) jump around and watch the Godzilla that, like, interests you after that, but I do think there's still, like, sometimes value for these big, sprawling things of being like, okay, but what was, like, the beginning? Where did all yeah. this start? Um, um, so, so, um, my friend Jackson, who does a like Gundam pod podcast, where you know they're going through in release fucking order, like they're not being moved from this. Like this is how they're doing Gundam, uh, and they feel very strongly that if you're going to watch something in a particular order and you're going to be completionist about it you should watch it in the order that it was produced not in the sort of like in-universe chronology um like you know it wouldn't make any fucking sense to do like gundam zay gundam and then 0080 and then 0083 and then zeta and then double zeta and then Char's counterattack and then fucking unicorn you know that doesn't make yeah. any sense you know um so so jackson was tweeting about this once and, and basically said either it matters and you should do production order um or it doesn't matter and i i that is sort of my philosophy about these things generally um and i'm just trying to get myself to a place where I feel like it doesn't matter more often because like sometimes I'm like, I want to watch uh Lupin the third and I drive myself insane because I'm like, well, I have to start watching with a sixties anime, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, 
But yeah, like I also fully recognize that it, like if someone came to me and said, I want to watch Godzilla, what do you recommend? I would just say, you should watch Godzilla 1954, and then you should watch um, like either Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster or um, Mechagodzilla, and then you should watch uh, one of the Heisei movies, just pick pick whichever one has the coolest monster to you. And then you should watch uh, Godzilla 2000, and then you watch, should watch Shin Godzilla, and then, you know, whatever your favorite Godzilla was, just go watch movies from that time period. You yeah. know, like, I, I, I can give you a very easy answer to that, because, like, it doesn't fucking matter. If you want to watch Godzilla 2000, it's a really fun movie. Go watch Godzilla 2000. Um, if yeah. you want to watch Tokyo SOS, you should watch fucking Tokyo SOS, because it's a great movie. <laughs> You know? Not not everything has to be a project. I say as someone who got uh, Berlin Alexander plot so I can read it before I watch the 1931 adaptation, before I watch the 1980 adaptation, before I watch the 2020 adaptation. <laughs> yes. Um, but sometimes so, you just want to do the project, and that's okay too. But like, and yes. then if you, you know, when I decided I was making a project of this, I was like, oh, okay, I should I should read the book and like do this like chronologically um in terms of like you know these are all adaptations but like in terms of when they were released so mm-hmm. um and that's also, where i'm at when you, when you make it a project either i feel like there are two things you could do you can either make it a collaborative thing um like i would not watch all the godzilla movies in order if i was not doing it with nora yeah. Uh, or be fucking chill about it like cut yourself some slack allow yourself to not complete the project allow yourself to lose interest in the project um uh and anyway all this to say um i have been dimly aware of the zatoichi movies for years and years and felt like i don't know how to watch these because there's a lot of them and I'm just now, like, at a place in my life where I'm like, oh, okay, I could just watch these. It's fine. Like, whatever. Yeah. Like, I'll just, I'll probably watch the first one because I don't want to bother Googling, like, the 10 best Satoichi movies. Like, I'll probably just watch the first one because I'll want to know what it is. And then maybe I'll Google, you know, 10 best Satoichi movies and probably watch the Katana one second or something like that. Yeah. You know? Um... The the other thing that is sort of breaking me of, like, needing to watch things in order is just that, like, my job's fucking stressful lately. Um, and I have uh, trauma where it is very hard for me to relax ever. And so <laughs> um, this month has really just broken me of I cannot spend my relaxation time beating myself over beating myself up over trying to get myself to relax like the correct way if i want to watch harley quinn i just need to watch it and not worry about like you know um should i watch brave and the bold first because like whatever like the batman in um harley quinn is riffing off of the batman in brave and the bold (laughs) you know i can't do that to myself i only get like four hours a day on my to to like do anything you know yeah Yeah. so um 
long answer to a pretty straightforward question, which was just, <laughs> do you, have you seen these Blind Swordsman movies? <laughs> um, good movies. Are there are there any other questions, or is that the... Um, so with that, what movie are we watching next time? Um, so as I said, here comes Lem again. Um, I, I mentioned this to you. So I want to continue on with Yakuza stuff, and I want to... So there's two that I have in mind, and I'm going to let you pick what you think. Um, I still don't have the DVD copy that I'm getting of um, Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu, or else I might just be doing that, um, because I would really like to just like do that one next, but um, I'm trying to figure out how to make it work and be able to watch it on this podcast. So the other two ones are... Tokyo Drifter or Pale Flower, both of which I I know you've seen, but um, Mm -hmm. I feel like I can talk about either of them in like their own way as how they're relating to this like genre. So, um, let's let's go with Tokyo Drifter only because it has been like three or four months since I've seen Pale Flower and it's been three or four years since I've seen Tokyo Drifter. Um if you told me like, no no no, I really want to do um Pale Flower, I absolutely would do it. I'm just like Yeah, it's been a little longer since I've seen Tokyo Drifter. Let's do that, you know? Yeah. Um, um Okay. I think that's oops. I was typing in the wrong spot. Um, I think that makes sense. I think when I originally plotted this out, I had Tokyo Drifter before Pale Flower, even though I think Pale Flower predates Tokyo Drifter. Um, uh, but I'm really excited to do Pale Flower. I'm really yeah. excited to do that. Um, but like, I I think they are both going in very different directions with the formula. Um, and in some ways, I think even though Pale Flower came earlier it's kind of interesting to talk about tokyo drifter as this thing that is like using the formula to just like be able to bypass plot so much and just focus on aesthetics so um yeah i'm i'm excited to do tokyo drifter um so we'll do tokyo drifter next yeah um where can people find you online uh, people can find me at FoxMomNia on Twitter um, or at Garfred Aloud. And I mentioned it previously, but I have another podcast on the network called Ghost Divers. Um, it is an anime podcast, and we have gone through like a number of series right now. Currently, Ray Earth is coming out, but you know, people who listen to this episode probably might, you know, most likely of the stuff we've done, Evangelion. Those are some long ass episodes, but it's a good podcast. I I think we did a really good job, like laying out different reads on Evangelion and and trying to like honestly coming towards very similar reads of what it's trying to do, and yet having like strongly different um, final judgments on it. So I, mm-hmm. you know, and again, if anyone's like oh, I don't know, this podcast seems like a big commitment. I do recommend just, like, that End of Ava episode, um, 
is like, I think a very good, here's what this podcast is like distilled into one still long, but <laughs> one episode that you can listen to and be like, Oh, okay. I, mm-hmm. I, I see what this podcast is. And, um, you know, if you like it, you like it. And if you're like, that was too fucking long. I understand, but if I'm too much, go find more or go find less. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at exportod.io. Find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee and all the other podcasts at exportod.io. You can um listen to the newly launched uh, Lord of the Rings podcast. Um bag and book club um on the patreon or by going to export odd.io slash bag and book club uh that's gonna be me nora my wife um and emin jackson of abnormal mapping and the great gundam project um uh we're just like we're just gonna read through um lord of the rings um like that's the that's the thing is that we're gonna read like our first episode uh is gonna be about the hobbit and it's gonna come out on the 29th and we're gonna read like the first nine chapters of the hobbit and just talk about it um but really what that podcast is about is that like those are three of my closest friends in the entire world and i would just want to bullshit with them for a couple hours every two weeks so (laughs) (laughs) that's what that podcast is actually about um i i am excited about this as someone who is probably closest to m in terms of um engagement with the you know tolkien's legendarium um yeah um i I, i'm really also happy with like we've got me haven't read the books haven't seen the movies yeah you've read you've read the hobbit that's it i've read the hobbit i've read the hobbit um i read it twice as a kid um we got jackson who has seen the movies and read one of the books um or read the hobbit and fellowship We've got Nora, who's read all the Lord of the Rings several times, but hasn't read the Silmarillion. And then you've got, like, M, who has, like, read every book, like, ten or more times, has read the Silmarillion maybe ten times. Like, um, (laughs) we've got, you know, I think a really good mix of, like, knowledge levels about um, Lord of the Rings uh, in a way that I think that podcast is going to be really good. So I hope people yeah. check it out. Uh, I assume people are checking it out because it launched yesterday and we've gotten seven patrons since then. So uh, thank you to all of you uh, who did that. And Hopefully thank you're you, listening I guess, to this as if well. <laughs> you subscribed for Lord of the Rings talk and you're like, oh, there's a podcast about uh, Akira and Evangelion in my feed. I guess I'll listen to that. Um, there's probably some overlap there. There's probably yeah. somebody who was like, oh, Akira and Evangelion? Sure. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoyed our podcast. Uh, anyway. I think it's a good uh, I'm podcast. I'm sleepy because it's 1am. So we're getting out of here. Yeah. I'm still sick, so I should sleep. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. <laughs> Nia, you didn't say the Oh line. no, did my... Oh no! Oh no, did it drop? Oh no. Did I lose the internet? Oh no, Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. (laughs) Have I been forsaken? I'm typing Okokoro. What if I was just recording into an empty space this whole time and I was hallucinating Nia this entire time?
What if she was never really oh, there? Oh, wow. I think my, my internet just, like, fully messed up. I think she was probably up. really there. Um, I don't know what's happening. But I really want her to say Okoro is real so that we can end the podcast. I almost wonder if she, like, had to mute for a second to, like, take care of Lem and then now is letting me flounder. I'm curious if that maybe is what ha- what's happening. Or maybe I lost internet like I did earlier. <laughs> I just received a text that says, Me shouting into my mic as my internet fails. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Uh, Nia just texted me that she's stopping recording. Goodbye, everybody.
Bella Lugo 